The HouseDog.com Real Estate Show with Brian and Mackenzie Crabtree. Good to have you, Brian and Mackenzie. We'll talk about housing, the next housing crisis. Is it here? Well, if you read the headlines from the past week, you'd certainly think so. I'll talk about the article I have in townhall.com. Plus Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, if you can't kill them, should we put these two monsters together to oh make gosh. an even bigger monster? An article. Fuddy, fuddy duddy. Fuddy, fuddy May. Right. <laughs> duddy May, right? That's, that's, uh, that's what we. Frowny May. That's what we'd end up with. Uh, <laughs> housedog.com is our website, by the way. 4.9% commission to sell your home. Uh, let me break that down for you. That's just 2.4% to list it. 2.4% to sell your home, and things are selling fast. We've had a couple of properties. I had one property out uh, in the coming Alpharetta region, sort of yeah. in the mix there. And um, it uh, went on the market. It had about 20, 25 showings. We had three offers. Uh, a couple of them just couldn't work out. The, the, finally, the third offer, boom, done. And a uh, pretty good price. Is too. that the one with the pool? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's and then we had property. A, back to the uh, inside the perimeter area. We had a condo in Buckhead that uh, just sold for 65000 more than the last um, floor plan just like it not too long ago. So it gives you some indica- indication of what's happening in the housing market, at least for the time of year. It's the time to get your home on the market now if you're thinking about selling because we, we, we don't know what the last half of the year is going to look like between the elections, the economics, the security risks. Maybe everything's fine. Uh, but also it's the time of year where people make the buying decisions and we're not seeing the inventory pop on the market yet. And so getting ahead of that is a very important part of getting the most money. Isn't it like right around April, though? I mean, I think everybody kind of gets revved up, ready to go. You see a lot of buyers trolling the streets right now. There's but. two phases. Usually right after Easter, there's a rush. And then toward the end of the school year, there's like, oh, crap, right. we've procrastinated. And it's it can be too late. People that got their homes on the market last May, there's still a few for sale because, you know, they've 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 been on the market a while. So that's... Um, it's That's all pricing dumb. and conditioning and marketing. Of course, there's parts of the market like Buckhead, the condo market under oh. under seven fifty, um, really even up to a million, where you're seeing two and three days on the market, and prices generally have risen between fifteen and twenty percent year over year. But there's like one or two available. You know, I have one buyer right now. We're looking in the Brookhaven Buckhead area, and she is literally going to be homeless. I think we've talked about this because she's still homeless. Um, next week when we close on her property. But everything that comes on the market, I told you there's a hot sheet on the MLS. Mm-hmm. So the new properties come on at midnight. So like 12.02, I get a text. Anything? Anything? Right. <laughs> it's like, oh, I mean, it's not like we can go see it anyway. But, um, you know, you just have people right now writing contracts before they even see the property. I had one lady yesterday um, who wanted to bring us an offer. And she was just like, I tell you what, I'll get you into like this sneak peek of my guy selling his unit in Brookhaven if you can get us to the top of the list. And I'm like, well, you're first on the list. So absolutely right. good deal. But uh, it's it's that crazy right now. And sort of that's the inside approach. You've <sighs> got to have proactive and aggressive agents uh, depending on where you're buying. Now, if you're parts of Roswell or Alpharetta with a house to sell, you're going to have to have aggressive marketing because right. there's a lot of new construction. So you know, you've yeah. got houses that had uh, creeped up into the low 600s even the mid 600s from a bottom in the threes and fours during the crash that are, are, you know, are now creeping back down into the high 500s because you've got so much new construction in the low 600s. It's brand new, the same size, same features virtually. And, and, and in, in reality, for the buyers listening, a lot of times that's misleading. There's a lot of homes for sale in some of these parts of the market where sellers are struggling a little bit more that are competing with new construction. Right. But, but the new construction's really not 
everything it looks like in that, you know, $200,000 souped up sales model, exactly. right? Exactly. And I say $200,000 in upgrades, upgrades, right? Yeah. I'm not, that's before <laughs> that's you get- That's not the sales th- price. That's not even the lot price. Yeah. Thanks I mean, for you, coming in. You've got houses that would cost eight to $900,000 on the spec sheet, you know, representing homes for six and a quarter. It's almost- and it's one of the illegal. things, Brian, but well, it's like so bait and switch. I hate that, that upsell. That, that makes me so mad. Just, it, it is a bait oh. and switch. It is, it is a bait and switch. I, I agree. And I, I vacillate on that issue because so many people out there won't listen to the sales pitch of, well, you should have a buyer's agent. You should have somebody mm-hmm. that's your advocate, somebody you trust, someone that you take your cues from because people... They want to be expedient in their process. They want to just move quickly and they don't want an agent because they don't have to call that agent. They don't have to wait on that agent. They don't want to have to, you know, they, when they want to know something, they want to know it now. And they want the answer like now and no human being can serve, you know, 10 clients and be a right now. I mean, they can try, but they'll go nuts doing it. So a lot of people for the sake of of, of what they see as, as ease decide to just just try to go it alone. I can get the information. These agents are stupid. And they're not they're not wrong enough in that thought process that 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 they get humbled quickly until they either pay too much or they get caught up in the ether of new home sales without a representative to slow that down and quite frankly it you know it's a shame but so so a lot of times the public is inviting the behavior that they get from the industry of housing much as the public by allowing it unaccountable to go on in politics is 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 Very allowing. Similar. It's the same people. It's yet yeah, same people, and they're they're inviting and allowing the lies and the in the and then and they're the surprised, right? And then and then everybody's angry, right? Right. So we all have to be a little more diligent in our financial transactions, and we have to think about you know around the corner. Unless I'm represented by someone that I feel very confidently I can trust. In the sales process, I, I'm being sold something that's probably not true. Everything related to housing is wrought with with lies. And so you've got to have an advocate and a consultant, not a salesperson. Salespeople are what you put in a new home sales center on a car lot. In real estate, you're looking for a consultant. It's really easy to find in 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 the sales you know profession whether someone's acting as a consultant or a salesperson. A consultant asks you more questions than you ask them. A and by the way, when you ask them a question, they give you an answer, and it's fairly succinct and short, even if it's elaborative at the end. And a salesperson asks very few questions, and they tell and say a lot. What that tells you is that they already think they know you. They know what's best for you. They know always best to listen, right? And and so they go ahead and assume things, take conveniences with your relationship, which means they are more likely—not likely, but more likely—to misrepresent you. So the best thing to be thinking about when you're in the ether process of a listing agent or a buyer agent presentation is, are they asking me a lot of questions about how and why and when and what brought the move about and trying to get to know my needs and wants and what concerns me? Or are they just simply telling me and selling me? That's the easiest way because most shysters have a hard time asking questions and listening to the answers. I'm listening. <laughs> what are you looking at me for? I'm you listening. gave me a look I'm, like, I'm, no, I'm like just, this I, is a husband was, and wife moment. I was or listening. Right. Okay. So, I mean, that's all I had to say. Uh, that, that's, that's actually all I had to say. That was succinct and to the point. I, I don't need to say anything. I mean, more there's about a fine that. line. I think with a listing presentation, um, 
a lot of people are are trying again to narrow it down. You know, maybe you've got 10 people and you're trying to narrow it down and knock people off the list. So if you don't give them a lot of information sometimes, I don't know. Do you remember one of those first, um, we went on one of those presentations and we talked about, oh, we can do staging and we can do this and we can do marketing, whatever. But she went with the other group because we didn't like give her all the information, like the contact number to the stager. Do you remember that? Yeah, I had a listing appointment this week. I do. And it's because of those But I mean, it's like situations. we gave you 99% of the rest of the stuff that you wanted, but I didn't give you the exact phone number because nobody asked me, but I should have just known to give it to you. We weren't even signed yet, right? We're in some of these networks where we get referrals and, and, and some of them refer three agents at the same time. And so this week I tried on a new face, which is a high pressure close. How'd that go? Um, yeah, it went well because what I, it wasn't really a high pressure to the, to the, seller so much but it was just are you ready to get this on the market now yes okay um sign well, here can i go i'm gonna go ahead and send you the listing paperwork and let's get this done right and there's a few more qualifying questions to really just box him into but that was very assumptive that he was just going to use you get this back to me today and i normally don't play that role of sales because that's more salesy than it is consultancy and i like to be a consultant but when you when you're what i have found recently with listings being so hard to come by real estate agents are getting desperate like politicians do and they start bashing each other. So instead of getting into the mm. bashing game, I just got into the closing game. Listen here, little Rubio. I don't know about yeah, Well, and so the thing little is, Marco. the thing is, is I'm like, I just want to get the listing. It's a great listing. I'm going to do a great job. It's in my, it's in, it's in my area of expertise, right in Buckhead. And I'm going to sell it quickly. And he's going to be very happy with my service. And so I, I didn't have to worry about, is this a house or a condo that's going to be on the market for six months? It's going to be hard to sell. Is he unrealistic? You know, and I just, I'm like, I'm going to take this because if I wait, these other two people are going to call from this referral source and they're going to start talking about all this bull crap that doesn't do any good. And it's going to sound like, oh, well, that's so much sexier than reality that Crabtree was talking about. So I did the hard close Mm. and um, I don't like doing that. I, I don't mind it because I know what I'm up against with real estate agents, but I don't like doing the hard close. I like doing the soft closes where people realize at the end of the of the presentation, the question and answer session, that I'm just there to help them. And if they choose me to help them, and I keep that mindset, help them, that eventually they're going to pay some money and it's going to come to me and they're going to receive a check at closing for their for the sale of their home. Right. That's the kind of natural process I like. But this business isn't that way anymore. This business is really about who can one-up the BSers the best, who can, who can BS better than the BSers. And uh, that's that's unfortunate. Coming up next, the next housing crisis is here. Is housing going bust again? Well, if you read the headlines, it sure looks like it. Don't go away. The HouseDog.com Real Estate Show with Brian and Mackenzie Crabtree. We're talking housing on the program. AM 920, The Answer, 9 o'clock on Saturdays, Sundays at 10, Biz 1190 Radio in Atlanta and 24-7 at HouseDog.com. Click on the radio show tab midway down the page on the left. What's my home worth? Big, bold letters. Click on that. Find out what your home is worth. Connect to us if you're thinking about selling. Even if you're not thinking about selling soon, just drop in the box there. Um, I'm selling, you know, I want to know the value to sell. And and we'll kick back a value to you relatively quickly that's somewhat dependable as to what your home may sell for. Now, to get it nailed down perfectly, we've got to see it and see what your temperature is on doing some work, if any's needed and all that. But we can get it a lot more accurate than Zillow's estimate and truly is estimate. 
So housedog.com, what's my home worth? And you'll be connected with the group that gives you full service, not the kind that we talk about on the radio. And then when we get there, we let you do everything. No, really, we're doing all the work. 2.4% is the list fee. You get to decide what you pay the buyer's agent, but typically 49 to 5.4% is the total amount. Average savings for the average home sale, three to $9,000. So, People ask why we can do that. It's because we're subsidized because of radio and billboards and marketing. Well, but you and I, our overhead, like we used to have in 2005 is gone. We'll get to the housing news in a moment, but I'm glad you brought that question up because we've had this a couple of times this week where a couple of agents have in the midst of bringing an offer said, well, you know, it's two and a half because we've got, we've got a property or two that just, it doesn't matter about commission. I mean, we'll get a call and sell it. And and we've, we've been upfront and we're saying it on the radio. So we're, we're not being hidden with the details and we're, we're very much informing our Sellers in certain parts of the market, it's better to offer a little more here, a little less there, depending on the volume of activity. How many buyers are waiting for property like this? Right. And a lot of real estate. I mean, looking at a lot of real estate agents are really like put off by this whole process. And I'm like, you know, I'm sorry if I'm selling a six hundred thousand dollar house. All right, if I'm selling a six hundred thousand dollar house and I'm about to make three percent, that's eighteen thousand dollars. Okay, so I'm supposed to agree that if I put a home on the market. I do my job right. I'm very experienced. I'm one of the best in the business. I spend the money I spend. My business model works. That that it's worth 60 days of effort on that one house and make $18,000, which is half of what some people make an entire year, right? Exactly. Now, I've made millions and hundreds of thousands a year doing the business through volume and consultancy and serving people the right way. And I came to this conclusion after the housing crash. Now, during the housing crash, I wouldn't bend. I would not charge less than 6% because there was too much work involved, too much time, and it's a much different model. But when the market's inclining like this, unless you're in an area where the average time on the market's four or five months, that's different. But I don't understand why the real estate business thinks it's worth two to six months worth of effort on an average home from the time you meet the client the first time till the time it closes. Have you closes. met some of my clients, right, however? Why a $600,000 home is worth you know, $18,000. I mean, the, the, the consumers out there are saying this is getting to be too much as house prices get to, you know, uh, record prices again. And I've thought this for a long time. The whole industry is always talking about we should st- stick to our, our, our fee of 6%. Well, I, there is no standard fee in the market, but Why? You know, this is why why we see so many for sale by owners right now, because they look at, at us as a market, as a, you know, as someone who's supposed to service them and they just don't see the value in it. So I understand. I mean, I think we were more valuable as far as a 6% commission in, in the, the short sale years, the approved short sales, because that was painful and that required a ton of work. And right now, when you have such limited inventory in some of these areas and you can put the property on for 10,000 more than it actually is worth and get multiple offers day one. I mean, there's really, it's just about nailing down yeah, the listing. My commission is commensurate with the effort that I'm going to have to put in and the financial risk I'm going to have to take. And that's really the model I've run. Perhaps I'm more competitive. You're more competitive than some agents because we don't have big company brick and mortar overhead. We don't have a palace that we walk in every day so we can feel good about ourselves because that's not needed anymore. I mean, even in the high rise we're in, in our very puny little office, it's a very professional place. You have businesses and companies in here downsizing that are growing. There's entire like uh, Postmates is down the hall. They have two 
They maybe have 400 square feet running the entire inside the perimeter market for food delivery. I mean, they've got one room with supplies, and I don't want to give too much away because I'm just observing this. But they're a big company. They do great work, and and they meet their people all day that have uh, have rating problems right. with their clients. You know, so they're running an entire restaurant delivery business with a hundred restaurants with a space that's you know not much bigger than most people's oh, yeah. kitchen and living room. I mean, our overhead has completely changed and so, in the past 10 years. You know, so what, 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 I mean, that's what I'm saying to the model, and then Atlanta's a little bit behind. I would rather take a look at the risk after going through what I went through and you went through with the, the housing company and seven brick-and-mortar offices. I had one office that was 11,000 square feet with 100 agents in it. If you went in there and there were 25 agents in that office at one time, I would have been shocked. I mean, normally that was the number actually because the business is out in the field. So you have all these companies with $40 a square foot palaces and I'm not beating them up. That's if they want that, that's fine. It makes them feel good. There's nothing wrong with it and good for the commercial brokers. But you, the seller, and to some degree, but lesser degree, the buyer are paying for that. And so I looked at the model and said, you know, what was the biggest problem I had in 07, 08 when the market started crashing? I had to kind of unwind all of this stuff, and it really sent me into a mess and a tizzy. So why not find a model, no matter how many agents we grow to, that has, um, you you know, a, a scalable space, but not so big that if the market takes a turn, that we have to worry about collapsing the space again and by the way, in the interim, whilst the market's really good, because I'm saving the money, what does this come out to? And I came out to, if I cut back on all the crap people do, print ads, newspaper ads, all that stuff that doesn't work anymore, and I cut back on the office and the phone systems and all the stuff that has no relative benefit to the seller whatsoever, that's 0.6%. And that's how we came up with this deal. You have to take a look at where our market has been and where it's going. And you see a lot of legendary brokerage houses that like their AAA class office space that give themselves the feeling that they are big and grand. So therefore, they should be able to work luxury homes and stuff like that. Also trying to give their um, sellers an idea that they are that they've arrived and that they are well capable of doing it. But there's a cost to that. If you look at most businesses now, everything is online. Everything. That's why you retail love, struggling. Exactly. And so is it fun to go to the mall, to go to Macy's, to look through some stuff, maybe go to Nordstrom and touch and feel? Yes. But we're dealing with real estate where there's not a lot of touch and feel with your meeting. Maybe you'll go and touch and feel when you start looking at homes to buy or even helping them to sell. As far as that, that big brokerage house and having a place, I mean, nobody even does anything documents are not well, paper it's, it's, anymore. It's amazing. You have these uh, real estate agencies, and and I think this is relevant to the office uh, audience because some would like to understand what what's missing if you're charging less, or what maybe these are things for your business or your business idea you can think about. I got to thinking about the conference space. I mean, I have we How have many a few, clients have we you have brought a, back to I've your no, conference space. I've brought none into our actual office building. I've taken them to the Buckhead Club. I've taken them to Starbucks. Right? I mean, it just well, depends where I'm meeting a guy today. I will not meet him at the office. I could Okay, come. Why don't you drive all the way from Smyrna to Buckhead, meet me at the office, and then we will drive back to the property that you saw in Smyrna across the street from where you're working. Okay, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Right, it doesn't because people are living a much more high-paced lifestyle. But if they want to come to Buckhead, I'll take them for the initial presentation. I meet them at the Buckhead Club, buy them lunch. You know how much that costs me a month? How much? 190-something bucks at the Buckhead Club. I'm giving them free plug here. 
That's funny. So I, I can take them in the prettiest. I haven't had to wait do a that. minute. I can take them in the prettiest, nicest, most expensive building in Atlanta, Georgia. Per square foot. 26 floors in the air with a panoramic view of the city as their introduction to the market at a high-end club and have lunch with them. Who has time for that? Well, very few people take me up on it. That's <laughs> Who has fine. time for that? Well, call me if you want to. I will I mean, pick up coffee on the way and I right. will meet you at the listing. Send me your driver's license and your verification of funds and let's get going. The point is, is to give them the same experience in one of these, these traditional real estate companies, I would have to spend a couple of grand a month to just have it, to barely use it. So you're paying for that when you get quoted 6 and 7% fees. And then what's happening is, is, is sometimes you get the agent on the other side. There's a whole philosophy here, McKenzie, and you don't like this because you do a lot more buyer work than I do. Most buyer's agents, with the exception of a few very good ones around Atlanta, including you, um, most buyer's agents don't earn half of the commission they make. Because right. they are in the way, they serve their clients no interest. They they argue about everything. You had one this past week. You were trying to close, and the and the and the buyer who you represented, and the and the seller uh, had met somehow and worked out a six hundred dollar issue. Yes, and then the agent was trying to blow At it the up. Walk through, and then the agent calls me back after everything's been signed and decided, and says she wants to change it. I'm like, I don't think so. Now, why is that worth 3%? It's not. And so, uh, you, uh, I know we spent a whole segment on our business model. I apologize this hasn't been relevant. It's to important, industry. though, because it's changing. And if people don't change, if you have a consumer who's expecting one thing and you have a business model that is not able to adapt and to move and maneuver, you will go out of business. Yeah. I mean, if you walk into a 10,000 square foot real estate office that has 20 agents floating around in there, you're paying for that when you buy or sell real estate somewhere along the way. Something's missing that you might need where those resources could be otherwise used. My real estate agents taught me that when I sold my company. They said, you spent too much money on stuff we didn't care about. Yeah. And I learned my lesson. More to come is housing going bust. I promise right after the break, it looks like it, but there's a caveat. Stay here. The HouseDog.com real, real Estate Show with Brian and Mackenzie Crabtree. Well, I never thought we'd spend a whole segment on our business model in the housing business, but I think it was a great segment, Mackenzie, helping people understand how what they pay in housing is predicated company to company on how they spend their money and how wisely they invest it. That's part of the process in choosing any professional is looking how they run their business. It's a decent example of how they may run your business. Exactly. Housedog.com to learn more of our 2.4% listing commission, 4.9 to 5.4, the total, which saves you a few thousand dollars. So I don't know, last week there's been housing numbers out of February that showed the market uh, quite off. Resale homes in February down and then new home sales up. There's an article, I won't get into all my details and thought processes, townhall.com yesterday. You can just look under uh, finance, uh, the finance section, or you can go to my one of my Facebook or Twitter accounts. It's pinned to the top at Brian Crabtree on Twitter. And the uh, article is housing going bust. Well, it looks like it. Now, I explain this by saying it's an emotional sector of our economy. Housing has the most emotion of any financial sector that we deal with in our in our financial lives. Um, it's difficult to read the fundamentals of the housing market because housing functions like the stock market functions in a day, but housing functions that way over the course of a year. So a day in the stock market is a year of the housing market. It goes up and it goes down, it goes up and it goes down, but in a daytime, you can never get no. a picture. So in a week or two, you can have no idea what's happening in the, in, in the housing market, and, and you have to go backwards and look at a trend. 
So let's look at the trend. The present trajectory of housing in Atlanta, Georgia, is that resale sales are up. The values of homes, 6 to 7% market-wide. Condos are 16% year over year, roughly. Now, you can manipulate these numbers and get a little bit different picture, but the general trend is quite precipitously up. But then there's this question, why are some homes not selling? Well, they're in pockets uh, of of areas that are within a three to five mile radius of a lot of new construction that is seriously competing with them. So the numbers don't apply in that pocket. But as a whole, the inflow migration, which means immigration, you know, people moving from Virginia to Atlanta type of thing, is very strong here. We have a robust economy. Jobs are growing, as is the income, at least at a greater level than the country. So if someone has an increase of inflation every year and you know so that in their job and their in what they make the the amount of money that they're going to be able to afford in housing assuming the same interest rate environment hasn't changed but let's say we're growing faster than that which I think we are here right then you you know a 2% increase on a $100,000 salary just gave you an extra couple hundred bucks of gross income a month so not quite $200, but that factors into being able to buy $20,000, $30,000 more house, $40,000 more house, which drives up For prices. Now. You know, and, and, and the only thing that, that, that negates that trend is rising interest rates. So as long as jobs are coming in, which they are, um, wages and, and inflation in wages is higher or, or slightly above inflation, which I think it is in most sectors of the mainstream metro Atlanta housing market, then you will see continually rising housing prices. So people go, well, it can't keep going up this high. This is ridiculous. This is good. It's been up 15% last year. Well, that that's, that's not true. It's only when job numbers aren't increasing and wage prices, wage People don't see it like that. They increasing. don't see the whole picture. They hear some commentator, some offset commentator from CNN say, mm, well, they read going to happen. Here's the headlines they read. Hurry. Yahoo, CNN, yeah. all the pundits. Is this it? Yes. And then the Bubble. Next one, U.S. housing sales tumble, right? Tumble is more like a free-flowing tumble down a hill. Tumble was like Bear Stearns. Uh, February, Bear Stearns yeah. tumbled. Fair, fair, uh, February was more of a trip. You know, but that doesn't sound that appealing, right? It's a warning sign for housing, right? This is this is what came out of the February headlines. And I could read 10 more of these things. Here's the bottom line. Simple behavior. I use the same analogy in politics, and I am almost always right. Right. Both in housing. I'm, I'm a 99.9% right in housing, and I'm 9 out of 10 right in politics. When you look at behavior behind polls, behind statistics or trends, same thing applies when you're looking at housing. When you look at the behavior that caused the effect we're seeing, that tells you what's actually happening. So, I, I see. Beha- you want to see behavior? Wait a minute. Let me let me get this behavior out, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of go back and forth on it. The behavior was a reaction emotionally to the Fed interest rate increase in December. So when the Fed announced a rate increase, the bond market kind of went a little nutty. The prices of mortgages went up about half a point and people went, oh crap, we're going to have like five and a half percent interest rates. I better buy now. And I predicted this. I predicted we would have a bump in sales early this year. And we did in Atlanta. We do. And we did. January, December was kind of my early this year part because you normally think of December as a, as a throwaway. It wasn't. We sold a lot of houses in December. McKenzie and I did, as did the market. Then in February, rates 
throughout January, rates declined. And uh, they declined down to now about 3.75%. I'm looking at a 5-1 arm right now at 2.6 from LendingTree. Mm-hmm. 3.38 for a 30-year fixed with a couple, with a point. I mean, these are the kind of things that just happens to be on one of the sheets I've pulled off here at the top. And um, I don't know how reliable it is, but those are the kind of rates. So that's lower than they were prior to the Fed rate increase. So what happened? People that were going to buy in February and March bought in December and January. People that were going to buy in March and April probably bought a little bit early. So who are the people who are buying now? My September people? No, no. people who simply who people are buying in March and April didn't react emotionally. Okay. The emotional reactors are a percentage of the sales. So what we saw in February, it was a nothing burger of news. It was worthless because in January, new home sales were down. Regular home sales were fine. Resales. Right. In February, resales, as they call it, tumbled. And then new home sales were up. All right, but the headline you see is about resales tumble. Is this the beginning of the next housing bubble or crash, right? This is what the media does with everything now, which is why I felt that it was time for me to get back into the media and do shows like this and shows like I do during the week because I happen to know how to read all this stuff. I've been doing it for a living, making lots of money doing it for two decades. It's very sensationalized. It is. It's Most of what you read is wrong. Most of what people believe is wrong. But again, I mean, there's nobody out there, really. There's like such a silent majority that could stand up and say, by the way, that's absolutely false. Please continue reading. Well, I I remember a seminar we went to when I was the CEO of my own company back in 05, 06. I don't remember who said it or where we were. It was some sort of franchise seminar. And one of the, the speakers pointed out that, you know, you have to stop doing things in life the way everyone in society tells you to do. These unwritten rules, you have to stop being what someone else wants you to be because 80% of Americans on most any subject are just flat wrong. Now let that sink in. You don't have to believe me, but let it sink in and and take yourself through this thought for a moment. Don't worry about whether that's a true stat or not. We know that on most given subjects in the office, in the household, there's a number of different opinions about what's the best thing to do. What's the right thing to do? What's right or wrong? What fact is right or wrong? You can have a game of trivia and half the room at least will argue that the person who has the right answer is wrong. Right? Correct. Right. So it's not a stretch to say maybe that number because of the silent people who say nothing, who know they don't know and don't want to show their ignorance, which makes them kind of smart, uh, maybe ignorant, but smart, that on a given subject, 70 or 80 percent of the American public is likely wrong. So. You can't believe a media made up of the very people I just talked about because the media is wrong and you add agenda and bias into that and you get, well, you know, when I'm writing a headline, let me just give you how it goes. I wrote the headline, is housing going bust? It looks like it, period. Now, 500,000 people have probably laid their eyeballs on that headline this week from townhall.com. This site has 30 million visitors a month. And now, if you just read my headline and my, my the, the, the end of the article, if you read the whole article, you got a huge payoff at the end. I said exactly what I said a moment ago. There's nothing to this story. There is no housing crisis. There is no bust. And by the way, I'm the guy usually calling it way before everybody else is. Housing is fine right now. 
It may not be a year from now, but there's nothing about February's home sales that are a problem. But the headline that I wrote would leave the average village idiot thinking housing is crashing. Exactly. Now, why did I do that? Because in journalism school, you have to create what they call hooks, headlines. You have to get the reader involved. You have to tell them something in a sentence or two. To grab their attention. Grab their attention. Yes. Crabtree, right? Because if I don't write that way, they're not going to publish my articles. I'm not going to get my message out at all. And I realize that a lot of people are going to be misled by the headline. But I didn't write the article for people to read the headline. I wrote the article to get across the point that the headlines make it look like housing is going bust. And the article supports the narrative. The housing is emotional sector of our economy. And by the way, there's nothing wrong right now. Anything wrong with that? I don't think so. No. That's why you have to read the whole article or listen to the whole segment. But you do a lot of that. All of your Twitter feeds and all of your little Facebook posts are always like... Well, I mean, you got to do 140 characters or less. And I get these responses that are the complete antithesis of everything I just said. It's like they're giving me my article, but they're giving it to me as if though I'm a fool because I didn't write it, which means they didn't read it. More of the housedog.com real estate show coming up. Fanny and Freddie... Should they become fuddy-duddy May and combine? That's next. Brownie May. The HouseDog.com Real Real Estate Show with Brian and Mackenzie Crabtree. We're back. 2.4% to sell your house. HouseDog.com is the website. Our What's Your Home Worth? What's My Home Worth? tool is on the mid side of the page on the left. And uh, that's housedog.com. You can learn about what your home might be valued at. I've gotten a few people go, really? It's that high? And then we've sold it. So... Uh, the other thing, sometimes you get them, they, you go in and you tell them, well, it's probably in this price range. It's four and a quarter. Wow. I thought it was more than the 350, 360. And then after it's four and a quarter, they run into some agent that's upset they didn't get the listing and they're complaining we didn't list it at 450. Right. Right. And, and that happens a lot because let me tell you something. When real estate agents are unethical enough to dispense advice to you after you're with another agent without your direct invitation, they are usually lying because it's unethical to do that without being called on by the seller to do it. I, I think some sellers do do that. I mean, it's very hard to determine what your home is worth if we haven't stepped into it. I mean, we can give the basics for square footage, but I mean, as far as condition and as far as upgrades, I mean, you're not going to be able to give an exact dead on price without actually walking through. I mean, you can get really close. We both, I mean, that's why when I usually do it, I usually do like a range. Well, and yeah. it'll be sometimes 10 but to 15 off. See, but. sometimes we compete with people who tell somebody a number and they're dead set, confident and serious that that's what they're going to get. And in fact, I've said this to people as a whole, including me, if anyone is 100% sure or overly certain as to what the sales price is going to be and what they can get, they are lying or they're stupid or both. Well, no, because here's the thing. There well, is not a scenario where you know what it's going to sell for because well let's say there's 10 people that want one unit how do you know one condo one house if there's 10 people that want a house like that and there hasn't been one on the market for six months and you've got a waiting list how do you know how high it's going to go you you don't so what's the other side of the spectrum well let's say the last five sold for 450 uh but they're not none of them are identical let's say they are identical right What's to say that the buyers that were on the market were exhausted and there's not one right now that's looking for exactly that and maybe they like one over here that's 500 or one that's 400. We never know. What we know is that within about 3 to 6%, this is where it will sell. 
Right. So when someone says four and another agent sells 375, the big uh, says 375, that's normal. That's just opinion. The worst thing you can do is factor into your decision on who you hire as a real estate agent. The number given you based upon the, their opinion, it, because that's I mean, if, that, if that's all it takes. Well, it's worth 450. And then they turn around and, you know, 30 days later, they're, well, I was wrong. What mm-hmm. are you going to do? Fire them? Yeah. Right. You, that's not what happens. So you've got to choose. You, you, you put price last. Price is the least important part of choosing a real estate agent. Price is the most important part of listing a home after you've chosen the agent. I usually like to bring in evidence and kind of show everybody what's going on. And even it, it just depends upon when you're going to do it in a market like this, when the inventory comes on and off the market so quickly it's like if you're thinking about listing in the summer, it's going to be a different price because other things have been sold. Other things will be available. It's just going to be a different price. That's why for buying, I like buying in December. Oh, yeah. You know, there's still a lot of homes for sale and not as many buyers. Well, you know, those sellers are dead serious. If, they, if they've got their Christmas trees up and you're out there looking at their properties, absolutely. Real fast before we get to Fuddy May Mac, um, the... Um, AJC had a good article this week. I beat up a lot of the media. I actually agree with this article. It said, blame owners, not builders for housing crunch. This is true. There's gridlock in the mid to low end uh, range of the housing market because what's happening is most builders are buying around it, inside the perimeter anyway. They're buying $350,000 to $400,000 shacks, tearing them down and building seven hundred fifty dollars to $900,000 homes. True. The average buyer is looking for something in the three dollars to $600,000 range and they are driving up the prices of the shacks that someone could come in and renovate and have an affordable, nice little home in a nice neighborhood. But they're they're buying them because there's so much demand like that that the average homeowner can't get them. And they're taking supply that's in the right area and they're pushing it up into the 750 and higher range. That chicken is going to come home to roost before long. Uh, but it is also driving up the cost of of housing in the in the lower end because it's taking inventory out of the low end and putting it in the high end. We need some builders willing to stick out some you know sub five hundred thousand dollar homes inside the perimeter and shortly outside the perimeter because that's where the demand is in the market. And it's really about land acquisition. Land's gotten very expensive again, and if this trend continues. With the price increases, it's going to price people further out. It's going to push the suburbs further out. And that's wherever the, the growth is going to be. It's going to be that way anyway. And that is a condition that is concerning in the housing market. A lot of people who want to be closer in are going to have to go to condos. But then that market's tight. The good news is at some point, all of this apartment booming, it's in it's nuts. There's another several hundred unit mm-hmm. apartment being planned. There's three of them being planned or, or near breaking ground in Buckhead right now, that's a thousand more units. And at some point they're gonna they're gonna get into a rental crunch. It hasn't happened yet due to the economy and they're gonna have to flip those and sell them and that will add supply. It's gonna come and that will be downward pressure on houses. One more thing right. that's affecting the market is Fuddy May and Fuddy Mac. Freddie May <laughs> Freddie Mac. What what are they again? Fannie Mae. Right, right. Freddie Mac. I, I, I like Frowny Mac. Frowny Mac. That's what I'm going with. So they want to combine these two what evil, a nightmare that will be. They, evil they have, giants. They are so opposite they of each are, other. They just, their whole processes are different. The processes are... Fannie Mae has gotten back into the realm of zero. Okay. Freddie Mac, the last... I bought a Freddie, Freddie Mac. Freddie Mac is tough. I bought a foreclosure they owned as an investor. Paid cash for it. It was worse than any deal I've done with a loan except our refinance last December. It was awful. I'm like... 
geez, guys, you know, I'm buying a a, a freaking seventy thousand dollar townhouse. I'm paying cash. They don't care. You can't. I mean, nope. These people have no business combining. They have no business really underwriting, uh, backing up these mortgages that are being written now. Let alone being Merging. combined. That would be the most cultural nightmare. And th- these are behemoth, multi-billion-dollar corporations. And instead of winding them down and coming up with a better model, the companies in some new proposals by the Obama administration, big surprise here that this buffoon doesn't know what he's doing, Obama and his cronies, they want to combine into a government-owned corporation. So they bought up the car market, they've taken over the energy market with the clean energy and putting coal workers out of business, all that garbage. Now they want to buy up and control the mortgage market. The biggest problem in housing still remaining beyond Dodd-Frank, is all of the government intervention that that was created from 2009 to 2013, it has ruined Mm -hmm. an otherwise very, very rewarding business. It's made it a nightmare for the realtors, a nightmare for the attorneys. It's creating consolidation where individual small operators in certain sectors of the housing space can't do it anymore. They can't afford to comply. The smaller banks, I'm trying to find a small bank for something in a particular area outside of Atlanta right now. There aren't any. They've all been, they've been bought swallowed up. up. They've been yeah. swallowed up by Absolutely. big regional banks or big, big yeah. banks like B of A and Wells Fargo because the small banks can't make it anymore. I didn't realize I've been talking about this. I haven't had a firsthand experience as to how bad it's gotten with all of this mortgage consolidation. It's the worst thing. No personal service. I finally found one that said, yeah, I'm the underwriter and the loan officer. What? Together? I almost I was on the, the same. Phone. I was on the phone in the car. Did you right? throw up? Did you hit a tree? After I hit the tree, oh my yes. Gosh. I ran off the road, right? It was the first I've heard that since 2005. Wow, that's like an anomaly. Yeah, I was shocked. How rare, like a unicorn. They won't be here long. Yeah, the, Obama will have his way with them. So they're talking about making up this new Fanny Freddie thing. And putting them together. National, I'm, just, I'm not even sure how that's going to work out. Na- listen to this name. Sounds like a dang government bureaucrat. National Mortgage Reinsurance Corporation. LLC. Escort. So they're going to make the rules that set the tone of how everybody has to do everything with the biggest asset in their life, right? What happened to the idea of just creating some basic credit standards? Debt to income ratio. People take advantage. It doesn't work that way. Credit score. Nah. You know, lesser on credit score and a few other parameters and let the banks take the risk and make the insurance based upon the bank's Risk factor. So if the, if the bank, if, if the mortgage market's performing at 0.9%, um, you know, debt default rate in mortgage, which is probably about where it is right now, and some bank hits 1.75 or higher, their insurance is somehow altered or reduced. And if they hit two points over the market, it's, it's, it's on them, right? And we're going to come in with the FDIC and take this thing over, and that'll be the reinsurance corporation. That would make sense, right? Okay, that's just simple and plain. It's like a one-page IRS document that says, here's our U.S. tax code instead of 83,000 pages. That's what they ought to do. And I know a lot of people go, well, what if this and what if that? I don't care. It Make it simple. If the market's at 0.9% default and some banks at 2.9, they're bankrupt. We don't care whether the assets are viable or not. They've been lending, so they got to keep their they they got to be careful about how they do it. If the market as a whole is 2.5, you know, percent default, which is big time recession, and they're at uh, 
Well, that's higher than they would have been seized because they're performing within a reasonable range of the market. Why not judge the banks based on the portfolio of lending instead of making every loan we do in the housing business such a freaking nightmare? Everyone's different. Right. We have a 200-page tax return. Many of our our small business owners listening have the same, maybe more pages. And sometimes they have more than one LLC. Sometimes you actually own property free and clear like we do, and then you get to the bank and they don't get it. They don't believe you. So I hope Fuddy Fuddy May does not happen. That's that's it, Mackenzie, for this week. We hope you all have a great weekend. HouseDog.com to reach us for good real estate decisions and guidance. 2.4% to list your home. Do it soon before it's too late.